This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 83 of the Equalizer podcast as we begin the NWSL offseason, and we will not begin the offseason quietly. My name is Dan Lawletta, and with the new national team coach coming in, calling in four uncapped players, we're going to call in someone new for the Equalizer podcast. It's Rachel McCrigger. You've probably seen her byline a little bit on EqualizerSoccer.com. She's done a lot of good work for us behind the scenes. Uh, Rachel, welcome to the podcast, and uh, why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, great. I'm I'm happy to be here. Um, like Dan said, I'm Rachel. Um, been with <clears throat> been with Equalizer now for um, a little over a year. Um, do a lot of social media work for them. Do a little bit of writing. Um, have a couple other soccer bylines here in my hometown of Pittsburgh, PA. Um, Pittsburgh Soccer now. I broadcast for the ACC network as a color analyst and um, I'm an editor and writer for last word on soccer among the 12 million other 50 hats that I I wear in my life um, still a, still in school graduate student um, hopefully knock on wood done next December but um, just a, a lover of sports a lover of soccer and and just excited to to be here and be on the team and also fresh off your first appearance at an NWSL championship. Uh, let's get right to it. Flatko Andonovsky. Now, we knew when we did this last week that it was happening, and it happened on Monday in Manhattan. He was announced as the new head coach of the women's national team. Um, I thought it was kind of a no-brainer that he was the best guy for the job in terms of the soccer. He's been in the league seven years. He's been in the playoffs five times out of the seven years, two titles. He was named coach of the year on Friday before the final, I think maybe Saturday before the final, which was right before he left Rain FC. Uh, give me your thoughts on Vlatko as a new national team head coach. I, I think that he really is a great fit for the, for the program. I think that he is somebody that can in, invoke a lot of good, positive change. I think change is necessary when it comes to the team. I think there's it, that people have been so used to seeing the same old, same old. And I think it's time to to bring some new players in and to bring a new fresh face in with a new outlook. And I mean, him him being part of the national team program now just shows the growth of the National Women's Soccer League, having a coach that spent all seven seasons of, of the league's existence um, in with a team or, or a two. Um, so to have him 
with the national team really gives him a, a different perspective being a club coach in the in the domestic league in the United States and then coming over to the national team program. I think he's going to do a lot of really interesting things. I think some stuff's going to shake up and it might not always be what what fans want, but I think that Vladko Andonovsky is going to have um, the the well-being of the team and ultimately the growth of the program at mind. And a lot of people forget that Pia Sundhag was actually a head coach in WUSA, two years as an assistant, one year as a head coach. Then the league folded and there was a little bit of a break in between that and her becoming the head coach. But this is really, as you said, the first time in NWSL that we have identified a coach from the NWSL to be in the national team program. And he was literally identified in this league because when he was named head coach in 2012, people, and I mean prominent people, literally laughed at the at the hire. And I think it was partially because, you know, I think people tend to laugh more at unusual names, but he was basically an indoor and youth soccer coach in Kansas City. But my goodness, he proved almost immediately that he knew exactly what he was doing and he also won the trust of the players, which was very important. The players in Kansas City, everybody you speak to who speaks of Vlako Andonovsky says glowing things about him. I think if you ask around, you can find some negative behind-the-scenes stories about most coaches. And I've not heard one, literally not heard one about Andonovsky ever. And, and I think that trust of the players, too, is something great to have. It's obviously it gives you more to your resume. And I, and I think that ultimately it's the players that respect him. It's not just him respecting the players, which I think, especially in the national team program, when you're when you're dealing with uh, and working with players that have one or two World Cup titles under their belt. I, I think that that is extremely important. Now, he's coming into a scenario where now you said you believe the program needs change, and I think that's a common theory, but they're also now two-time defending World Cup champions. So how much do you really want to change? So how do you feel that kind of, you know, how do you feel it fits in where he's got to try to keep up with the success, maybe do it in a little bit of a different way? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a major overhaul, but I mean, age is certainly a number, and it's something that, does play a part in in performance a lot of the time and I think that there are players who are you know getting up there in age and and who are looking at the national team um, and thinking that they should and they have a right to be on it um, just because of their name but that's not always the case you know if you I, I appreciate his mindset and I think he said it during um, his opening remarks last week he had said you know if you're not performing you're not going to be in the program and you know for me personally I think a lot of times with the program in the last three four years it's okay you you have a name you're in the team even though you're injured not getting minutes or you're just not ultimately not performing so I appreciate him saying you know if you're not performing you're not coming in at all um so I think that, you know, there's there's some players in this program that um, need to be nudged a little towards the door. Um, but I, I think that if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be him. And, you know, that might put him in, in bad favor with some of the fans. But 
I think ultimately the the true fans of the national team will say, you know, he's he's somebody who has the team at heart. He is somebody who has the program at heart and he wants what's best for the program. Well, I think the issue might be more with the players than the fans, because as somebody says, many people have said, you know, it's all fun and games and you're, you know, you're a really nice guy until you have to call somebody into a room and say, we're probably not going to be calling you into the national team anymore. And especially when you're taking over a team that sent 23 players to the World Cup and there are only 18 spots for the Olympics. That means even in the best of times, five players need to not be there. And as far as we know, there's not a single one of those 23 who has expressed an interest in retirement. Even Alex Morgan, who announced that she's pregnant, has kind of floated out there through sources and channels that she would like to play in the Olympics, which starts in July and she's due in April. So that is not an easy task to whittle down from 23 to 18. No, it's not. But I think it's doable, too, when it comes to performance, because I think that there were a lot of players, uh, maybe not a lot, but there were definitely some players on the World Cup roster who didn't really get the minutes in club play, who didn't perform in club play. And yet they got called up and, you know, there were some games where they looked really great because of maybe the the um, level of the opponent that they played. But I think that just ultimately if you don't perform and this should be for every national team, not just for the U S national team. If you don't perform at club level, you don't get called into camp. Well, I think one of the disconnects this season, and and obviously it's, it's a very different kind of arrangement because the national team players form the basis of this league by virtue of the fact that U S soccer pays their contract. And, you know, everyone on the inside believes that at some point it needs to be league first, national team second. But it's still national team first, league second, and it's hard to really get by that as long as U.S. soccer is paying the salaries. But look at Rapino, look at O'Hara, um, look at, I'm not, I don't know who else, maybe, uh, maybe Rose Lavelle to some extent and Mallory Pugh. These are players that were not completely healthy before the World Cup and yet were always going to be on the World Cup team if they were healthy enough. Now that's not to say that that shouldn't ever be the case because those are established, especially Rapino and O'Hara. Those are established players that have a history with the team, but you know, it, it will be interesting to see how that changes if at all, you know, as the years go on and as there are less and less players on the national team who were there prior to the NWSL and who basically, you know, their life on the national team was created by the NWSL like Ali Long like, uh, you know, Casey Short, if she gets there, players like that, uh, you know, that's going to be an interesting change also going forward. Thoughts on the roster? You got four uncapped players coming in because they're going to play this weekend against Costa Rica. Um, You've got Alana Cook, who is someone that is already, you know, maybe not going to play for the U.S., but here she is in her first camp. She's not cap-tied. Um who else do we have? Aubrey Bledsoe got called in. Midge Purse, who has been in before but hasn't been capped. And help me out. I'm forgetting. Who's the other new face in the crowd? It, Come it, on, Rachel. You're failing your first test. I know. <laughs> um, well, talk about those players, and I'll yeah, we'll get the other name for you. Um, well, I think first and foremost, I think a new face at goalkeeper was exactly what the team 
needs. Um, you know, Alyssa Nair, she's the clear cut number one. I, I think, you know, she's going to be that clear cut number one when you go uh, to Rio next summer. But, you know, age is a number, like I said, she's getting up there. So is Ashlyn Harris and, and Adriana Franch is, is not going to be in her 20s for the rest of her life. So I think that having another player, a capable player just named goalkeeper of the year, bringing her into camp and giving her some time is really a great look. And she's another one of those players that really came about through the NWSL. She served as a backup down in Orlando, and then she made her way up to Washington and became a starter and worked hard to be a starter. So I think that her being in the mix is so overdue and just incredibly deserved. The fourth is Amani Dorsey, by the way, from Sky Blue, who I thought did not have a great season, but I think she has a lot of potential. I'll be curious if she gets on a game day roster, is she an outside back or a midfielder? Because I thought she was better as a midfielder, but sometimes, you know, what you do better at the club level does not necessarily um, equate to what you do better uh, on the national team. As we've learned through players like Crystal Dunn and uh, yeah. and, and Kelly O'Hara throughout the years. All right, let's talk about Crystal Dunn for a minute. Would you change the shape of the team specifically to allow Crystal Dunn to play a little bit higher? Because I believe that she, she's in the conversation for best player in the world with what she does for the courage. I don't think she could have played in that role the way Jill Ellis played. Yeah, I would 100% change the formation of the team to to best suit her attacking needs. I think um, I've always been a firm believer of playing uh, the playing your players in their preferred and in their club positions. It's something that I have honestly ragged my brain about with the men's national team for so many years, and then it came over to the women's national team. I was like, oh gosh, it's following me everywhere. But I think that you know, changing the formation and whatever you have to do to get her playing in that attacking position. It, it works for North Carolina. It helps North Carolina win championships. So I think that, you know, it's something that they need to tailor and they at least at least they need to tinker with it in camp. And obviously, uh, outside back depth has been an issue. And it's nice when a player who's as good as we both think Crystal Dunn is can just kind of go back and play every minute of the World Cup as an outside back and you win that world cup. And she actually had a much better tournament than I thought, you know, and it's, it's weird because I, you know, people were saying before the world cup, if there's an area you can expose the U S it's getting in behind crystal Dunn, And then I think some people, her included took that to mean that she wasn't any good. Well, it's not that she's not any good. She's just on a really good team. And that was the weakest spot they had on the field, but it really never happened during the world cup. I thought she was very solid um, throughout that tournament. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, you said it perfectly. She was she's on a very good team that has a very good midfield and is able to help stop those balls. And she is on a great defense that includes, you know, Becky Sauerbrunn and, and Abby Dahlkemper. And sometimes Julie Ertz gets back in there. And um, I think that for her, you know, putting her in that spot, it was a it was the right decision at the right time. And in a few ways, I still think, you know, should uh Casey Short have gone to the World Cup. I think she would have been perfectly fine in that position. But I think that putting Crystal down there, she's not just uh, good physically. She's fast. She's strong. She's 
she's smart and she knows how to make good cuts and whatnot. And that's something that even though you are a defender, you need to know how to do as um, your backs. Rachel, you made it through your very first segment. Good enough that I think we'll bring you back for at least one more. Uh, with the uh, newly capped Rachel McGregor, I'm Dan Laletta. This is the Equalizer Podcast. Back on the Equalizer Podcast, Dan and Rachel taking you through episode 83. And a reminder as we hit the middle segment to please rate and review the Equalizer Podcast. The better ratings and better reviews that you give to us, the more great content that we can send your way. So please rate and review the Equalizer Podcast today. Uh, Rachel, some big NWSL news came out on Friday, I believe. And um, the long and short of it is that the maximum salary is going to go up. The minimum salary is going to go up. The salary cap is going to go up somewhat significantly. Uh, But the big thing is allocation money. And teams are now going to be able to purchase up to $300,000 in allocation money from the league. And this can be used to pay certain players above and beyond what they are allowed to receive Uh, based on minimum and maximum salaries. And so it's essentially, um, you know, an NWSL version of the designated player rule that we saw Major League Soccer Institute when they wanted to bring David Beckham over. And that has been a huge success for that league. It's my belief that if you look at MLS as like a before and after, the only way, the only line you can draw, maybe there's two, it's before and after Beckham slash designated player rule and before and after 2001 early 2002 when they contracted two teams and committed to investing more seems to me here on a baseline thought that the owners here are committed to investing more money they realize they need to invest money to make money and to make this thing a go so we'll have to see how the execution is but my initial take here is really good job what do you think I think it's a great job from the league. I mean, there's really nowhere to go from up. And I think that this just absolutely shows it. And to see players getting rewarded for their talents and being great enough to be on these elite rosters, which is not easy to make a roster spot for, I think it's great to see them get rewarded. And I'm I'm really itching to see what happens with allocation money. I know it's always a stressful time in MLS. Uh, as a Sounders fan, I, I 100% know the ordeals, so I'm excited and nervous to see what happens with allocation money. And it can also be traded, so you can trade your allocation money as an asset. Um, I don't know that it's clear whether a team can just make that trade and kind of sit on it like an international spot or if it needs to be traded and used um, a couple of things that stand out to me, though. A, I think this needs to be used to actually get good players into the league. I don't know if there's anybody that they have their eye on. I think $300,000 is a pretty good amount of money for uh, women's soccer globally, but it has to be used to actually get better players in the league. Um, the other thing is that allocated players can't get that money, so they are essentially going to be making less 
than when I say allocated players, I mean subsidized players by U.S. Soccer. So basically, Megan Rapino will be not will not be able to make as much as whatever player comes over on this allocation money. Um, and then you wonder if in the future that might lead to players not wanting to be subsidized by U.S. Soccer. And then the other thing is the the criteria that they laid out in that you because you it can't it's not just anybody that can get this allocation money you've got to be if you're an international player coming over you've got to be capped at least three times in the last 24 months but you know you got to be on the best or second 11 either of the last two seasons and win some awards and that changes the entire narrative that i had last week which was the best 11 and the second 11 yeah they were stupid but they're just awards but all of a sudden there's some major financial value being placed on those awards and it's going to make it harder because you know if you don't think Rapino and O'Hara and Lavelle should be on there it's probably nine US allocated players who maybe are now going to be missing out on an opportunity to make more money so that is uh, that's another red flag for me yeah and i think that begs the question too you know not to stray too much from the topic of of the money and whatnot but you know i think you know, fans are obviously going to vote for their favorite players. And I think now you have to take in with these financial um, circumstances, you know, do we keep that fan vote alive? You know, is that uh, a plausible and legitimate factor that rolls into these financial situations? So I think that's interesting in its stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of um, long and complicated criteria but I think that, you know, even with all of this um, word salad going on here, I think that you can still find a lot of really, really great players and not even just from Europe. I know a lot of people are begging uh, uh, Miedema to come over from the Netherlands, but there's a lot of really great talent um, in CONCACAF, too. And I think that that could easily be brought over into the United States as well. Well, back to the fan vote for a second. I'm a little bit old fashioned, as you know. I'm not really in favor of fan votes for this stuff ever, but I also understand where it comes from and that it's here to stay. But I think if this, if you are basing criteria for how much players can make on these votes, then I think you've got to scrap the fan vote entirely. I just think it is good. No, I'm totally with you. You know, I mean, it's one thing if you sign a contract and you, and, you know, and you put in an incentive where, hey, if I get on the best 11, I'll get a $10,000 bonus, knowing that, okay, <clears throat> that okay, that's a fan vote, at least in part. But if you're going to tell me, you know, I can make $50,000 if I'm not on the best 11 and $350,000 if I'm on the best 11, then I don't want the fans anywhere near that vote. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and then obviously the same day the news broke, it also broke that Sam Kerr had uh, informed the Red Stars that she will not be back for 2020. This is not huge news for anybody. You know, it wasn't great timing. The Red Stars haven't officially responded to it. It wasn't great news or great timing, but I think we all knew that, you know, Sam Kerr wants to go to Europe and she wants to, you know, see what's on the other side of the pond, so to speak. She's dominated this league now for three years. She was a really good player before that, a little young, a little injury prone, but looks like she'll be gone. I think that actually makes it more important now that teams use this money and get a couple of good players over here for 2020. Yeah, I mean, 
I think for me personally, I'm excited that the competition is growing in Europe. I mean, I'm obviously still very excited about the future of the league here in the United States, but I think that seeing women's soccer grow globally is just equally as important as growing it here at home. So I think it's great for Sam Kerr to go over to Europe, test the market, test the waters, go in um, to potentially a Champions League caliber team and just tear up the competition because she has the capabilities to do so and I think she she wants to prove that too that she's not just uh, an NWSL player she's someone who compete in different markets on in different leagues and, and on the world stage completely not just on the world stage in a world cup and for her national team yeah I mean I you know I I, I think there's conflicting opinions about whether or not it matters to Sam Kerr that she makes the short list for the FIFA World Player of the Year or, you know, God forbid, actually wins the FIFA World Player of the Year. I think people like you and me just blindly acknowledge that if she's not the best player in the world, she's certainly among the top two or three most dominant goal scorers. And is, I mean, she can't be any worse than fifth or sixth best player in the world at this point. Um, you know, I don't know that she needs to go to Europe to prove that, but it's certainly a different challenge and it, and it might give people a different way of looking at her yeah and it gives a, a new a new competition to watch her against you know there's there's only so many times that you can play against the same people in nwsl granted they do bring new players um every year and whatnot make new signings but you know you're going to a completely different shift and it's not just on the on the pitch too you're going into a completely different shift culturally and and just step especially if she goes to somewhere like like France where you know the language is completely different there's you know there's a a trillion different things that she's not used to that she's used to back in the United States and in Australia so I think it's a great test for her it's a good chance to get out and explore other leagues and explore other countries and I'm just happy for her that she gets this chance to to be on to be a part of one of the greatest European teams out there, should she sign um, with a Champions League team. And Chelsea is the team that is most hotly rumored for her to go to. And, uh, I mean, look, the, the English League is not as good as the NWSL top to bottom, but I do think it's a better <clears throat> top to bottom league than most of the European leagues in the sense that there is actually a little bit of competition because we, I mean, we know the deal. You go to Lyon, and yeah, the, you know, you probably train against players better than you'll ever play against. But they play four or five important games a year. Whereas I think in the English league, at least, it's a little bit more NWSL like, where a bunch of teams, you know, it's plausible can can win and go to the top of the table and beat some other teams. And I think, and tell me what, if you agree with this or not, Rachel. The, I think Kerr going to Europe is actually going to give more eyes on those games from American fans than when the U.S. players go over there. I think so, too, just because of how widely popular she is and because people want to see, OK, here's someone from the NWSL. Let's see how she does over here. And I feel like with the American players, it's like, well, why are you going over there? Don't you want to support the league here? Which, I mean, we could probably have a whole two or three hour podcast about the validity of that statement, but I, I feel like for the U.S. players, it's like out of sight, out of mind. But you know, we've kind of like adopted Sam Kerr as this 
phenomenon and nobody outside the U.S. is giving her any credit. So I think it actually, in some weird ways, you know, matters more. You know, like, can this league that we're supporting actually produce a player that can dominate on the other side? Meanwhile, uh, Red Stars, no Sam Kerr. That's not going to be, that's no easy task to, I mean, not going to replace her, but they don't have another goal scorer on that team, at least not based on the performances of 2019. So they, they might have to redo their, the entire way they, they attack next year. That's where that allocation money comes in. I think they're going to be spending more than I think, uh, you know, all obviously they have a, a very good all around roster. That's how they got there. But, you know, like you said, losing Kerr, I mean, you need two, maybe three players to replace that. And I think they're going to be spending a lot more than usual come allocation time. All right. So back to the allocation thing. Who do you want to see? You know, if you, you know, forget who's in contract, out of contract, who wants to come, doesn't want to come. Just give me a little wish list of who you'd like to see in the league next year using this allocation money. I would love to see Shirley Cruz come over, although I don't know how plausible that is because I know she said she's back at Alojuans and she wants to retire back in Costa Rica. So you never know. I think I just I love the way she plays. I was devastated when Costa Rica didn't make the World Cup. But I would love to see her there. Yenith Bailey, uh, the Panama goalkeeper, I would love to see her in the league. She's young, but I think she's got the talent to to do so. Um, I don't think you're going to get this money on the, on keepers, though. We have too many keepers, and they're, I think they're too easy to find. Prob- probably not. It's a, it's a hypothetical wish list. All right. Um, European players? Oh, there's so many to list, but... I would like to see Miedema come over, but I don't know how. I think she's pretty content over at Arsenal. I think she wants to win Champions League over there. And, I mean, I know she's staying at Lyon, but Wendy Renard, I think she would be, I think she could really shake things up over here. Renard, go ahead. Sorry, just for my own personal being, can we please get a Russian player back in the National (laughs) Women's Soccer League? I just want one player. I don't care what position, just one. Rachel, by the way, was born in Russia, for anyone who is unaware of that fact. Um, Give me who's who's the best, who would be the best player? I don't even know. (laughs) You're not making a great case. No, I'm, I'm really not, but whoever scored against Someone in European qualifying. Let's go with that. All right. I think for the next one, you're going to have to give us a little better uh, taste of I would definitely do that. Who the best Russian women players are. They haven't been in a World Cup in some time either. Um, a couple of years ago, Renard would have been number one on my list. Amazing on set pieces, great defender, but I feel like she's lost just a little bit, which doesn't mean she couldn't be dominant over here as a central defender. Like a team like the Houston Dash. If they could somehow get and you know Renard actually flirted with uh, Orlando a few years ago and they couldn't come up to an agreement on contract. So if she actually was willing to come over here but just wanted more money, maybe this is it. And as you know, Orlando could obviously use help probably at every position on the field. But you get the if you can get the dash to get someone in there that can just run that back line and close people down, That's that, is, that could be the beginning of the changing of the game there in Houston. So we're obviously overshooting here a little bit, but yeah, be interesting. 
All right, that's two segments in the book. We will come back. We've got a couple of questions to the EQZ pod hashtag, and we will wrap things up on the Equalizer podcast. Hey, everyone. Jeff Kasuf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on Podcast Row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast, episode 83, and that means it is time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-evolving and improving women's soccer statistics at fbref.com. And let's take this week's Stat of the Week right off of the site, fbref.com. They've got a little cool section called nationalities where you can see how many players and how many minutes uh, players from each country around the world played this season in the NWSL. Obviously, the United States is far and away the leader. Number two is Australia with 13 players and a little over 11,000 minutes. Canada comes in number three with 12 players. They actually have a few more minutes than that. Five players each from Mexico and Brazil, three from New Zealand, and Japan rounding out the top 10 to each from Iceland, England, Spain, Scotland, and Jamaica. And the countries with one, Ireland, Costa Rica, Denmark, Cameroon, Switzerland, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Wales, and Sweden. And if you're wondering, the Bosnian player is Didi Haracic, the backup goalkeeper for Sky Blue FC. So check them out at fbref.com for the latest and greatest in women's soccer statistics and uh, that's our friends at Sports Reference. So, uh, Rachel, let's get to the very select few uh, questions that we have. One that came in, or I guess they both came in a bunch of days ago. Bradley Warfield, can the NC Courage make the traffic and parking more efficient at WakeMed? Bad for folks driving from out of town for World Cup qualifiers at NWSL Championship. Thank you, Equalizer Pod, for insights and coverage all year long. It's our pleasure. I don't have much to say about the traffic, but you know what? You go to a sporting event, there's a little traffic that adds a little flair, right, to the to the event. It feels like a big event when you get stuck in traffic, right? For someone who lives in the city of Bridges and traffic is absolutely horrendous at Highmark Stadium, that was like a walk in the park and sunshine and roses for me. <laughs> Down at WakeMed, I didn't have to go in any bridges. It was great. I wasn't stuck in traffic. And I don't know how to answer that either because I'm an out-of-towner. Yep. And, I mean, I come from New York, so we have just a little bit of traffic here. I think the thing, though, is you can only get in in one spot, and that's usually a problem anytime you have a place where you can only get in in one spot. Uh, Matt Rushing, who do you replace Vladko with? 
at Rain FC. I think this is a great question that hasn't been talked about a lot. So all we've talked about is Andonovsky to the national team. And here, two things I think here. Number one, uh, they had Harvey and Andonovsky. They're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody with that big of a name. Number two, um, I don't think many other coaches make the playoffs this year with that roster slash slew of injuries. That said, I have no idea who would even be wanting to go for that job just because I still don't think we're quite at a place where NWSL job opening and coaches from all over the place are flocking to it. I don't know if you have any better opinion on that. I know you have some mild ties um, to Seattle, mostly through fandom and doing some writing for a site out there, but any, any anything you got on this at all? Not not too much. I I think that just the, the next coach needs to realize that, you know, they do have a lot of players coming back from injury. So I don't think there's going to be a major overhaul needed. But, you know, with that allocation money that we talked about before, you do get to play around with it. Um, I think you said it perfectly. Andonovsky and Laura Harvey were two pretty big names. And so to get somebody with a big name would be great. Um, I don't really know who would get it, but I know a lot of people on social media have been saying, you know, give Sylvia, Sylvia Nide, I think is how you say it, a call. Um, I don't know if that's true or what's going to happen with that, but. Yeah. Is that like real or is it just that so many people want it now that it feels real? People just want it. Like if it's, if we're saying like uh, who we want and everything, I mean, give me the former Brazilian coach, um, I'm going to butcher his name, so apologies to any Portuguese listeners or Brazilian listeners, but Veado, I think it is. Yeah, Vidal, I think, maybe. Yeah, get, bring him in for me if we're doing a wish list. How about Jill? I think Jill deserves a much-needed vacation for a year. <laughs> okay. And then maybe she can come when Louisville gets their team up okay. and I mean, do you think she would actually do you think she would make a good club coach? I don't know. Um I personally think that when she was with the national team, she was very picky with her rosters. So I don't know. Um you know, there there's been sayings that maybe she'd tinker around with MLS and and coaching on the men's side. So I don't know. I think I could see her going back to a, another national team one day. Interesting. because I mean, I, I mean, we're off on a tangent here, which is okay, but I think Jill Ellis's career is at this weird spot because I don't know that there are prestigious club jobs in the world. I don't know where else she would go. Like, can she just jump into MLS and say, here I am. I won two women's world cups. Take me. I think the, the opposite would happen for sure. If you won two men's world cups, an NWSL team would probably take you in a heartbeat. I don't know if it works the other way around, you know, in the in the society we have right now. Um, there's also debate on whether or not the players liked her. And you, you know, wherever you go, if you're in this league, you're going to be going in with somebody that you coached in the World Cup. You know, they weren't exactly singing her praises out the door a couple weeks ago, were they? No, absolutely not. And I think, you know, she I know she has her residency in Florida, so maybe she's waiting to see what. What happens with the Orlando Pride? Yeah, you never know. And and maybe she just wants to, you know, live in a consulting basis from here on out or, or be part of a, you know, part of the broader 
U.S. national team program. I've also heard that uh, Jim Gabara maybe is, is a name that's been floated out there for some of the vacant jobs. Love Jim to death. Don't think I would give him uh, a head coaching job at this point. I think there were just there's just too much residue from that 2018 Spirit team. I mean that that you know it's funny. Sky Blue was 0 17 and six going into their last game, and they might not have been the worst team in the league because that Spirit team was pretty horrendous most of that season. Yeah, that almost be like giving uh, Denise Reddy a call too. Yep. You know, she was the coach of the 0-17 and 16. Didn't win a game um, coming back in this season before she was let go. Um, so we're a little quiet on the questions this week. So uh, I guess we can bounce a couple off of each other. Um, what do you think is the most significant thing from a league perspective that has to happen between now and April? Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, there's been saying for a while that there's going to be an expansion team next year that starts and plays next year. So I think that needs to get finalized and put out there and get the ball rolling so they can get the draft order and whatnot um, solidified. But I, I really think the NWSL draft is going to be huge getting um, drafting players because I, I think this year has a really good collegiate class. So, yeah. Who are your top college? Who are your, who's at the top of that list? Um, I really like Allie Watt from, I think, she, I believe she's from A&M. Um, obviously, Jesse Fleming. Um, I think even over here in ACC play, um, I really like Zierra King from North uh, North Carolina State. I think she's been excellent for them. You know, when we talked to uh, their coach a couple weeks ago before our broadcast, you know, I, I mean, he was just glowing with things to say about her. Um, so she is an excellent player. Um, if there is any goalkeeper to go in, I think um, Mandy McGlynn from Virginia Tech would be a good option. But those are those are probably my top ones. Anybody you got your eye out for? I will be completely honest with you. I watch little to zero uh, women's college soccer. So I really mostly familiarize myself with the draft picks as we get close to the draft. So I have to plead ignorance on that, but I will turn it around and say Fleming, who is most people think will go to Europe, and Dana Castellanos, who most people think will go to Europe. Nobody quite knows how those players fit into this new allocation system. Can you draft them and just say, hey, please come play for us. We'll make, you know, we'll give you all this allocation money. Can you negotiate with them beforehand because if you go to it's funny if you go to college you have to go through the draft if you don't go to college then you get other ways into the league that's ultimately going to have to change at some point yeah i agree with that now, i also saw castellanos i was at the unc florida state game um a couple days before the final was not impressed with castellanos at all but everybody i tell that says now oh, she's great and i think she scored a big goal in the game after that um I think the number one thing that has to happen is there's a commissioner search on. There's this notion that Amanda Duffy is a candidate, but why would she be a candidate now when the position was vacant for two years and they made her the president? I don't know exactly what the difference is, but you know now they're searching for a commissioner. They need to get somebody in this league who will fly the flag for this league, right? Like Don Garber, hate Don Garber. Don Garber wears MLS on his person 
every single time he steps out into the public eye. And whether he is telling you something that is completely true, partially true, or just a bunch of words that don't mean anything, he is always, always, always selling this league. League needs a commissioner that's going to be on the broadcast, that's going to be saying stuff, that can make some sort of announcement when they address the media at final week and at the draft, even if it's a small announcement. That's what I think. Commissioner and a face for the league. Because who's the face of the league right now? Off the field, who's the face of the league? Exactly. Right? Is, is that a hypothetical question? No, I'm saying for the last year or two, like who is the person that is selling the league the most right now? The players. Some of them. Most, a lot of them, most of them. But there's got to be somebody beyond the players because players come and go and players are on specific teams. Right? It was, I think it was Merritt Paulson for a little while until he decided he was shutting down Twitter. Apparently he's, he's got a big Facebook presence. But there needs to be a commissioner that has a vision that says, look, this is where we're going here because we, we got to go big places. And I think there are places that can be gotten to, but it's going to take an awful lot of hard work. That's I think my... another thing I would add to my list, sorry to cut you off no. there. I think getting more partnerships with MLS is not a bad idea. I think whether that's with sharing stadiums or whatnot, I mean, lo- I, I would love to see every Sky Blue game at Red Bull, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but I think getting more visibility with and partnering with those MLS teams is is a great idea for for not just the clubs, but for the fans and the, and the players. I think what Chicago did with some of those doubleheader games, I mean, obviously the fire now moving to Soldier Field, I think those were fantastic. See, I like the partnerships, but they have to be the right partnerships, and I don't think that teams that don't have that ability should be disqualified. Because I don't think we want this to become MLS women or you know WMLS or whatever. But I think there's a lot that we, that can be gained from those partnerships. But then again, another part of me thinks that, you know, why not have every MLS club have a women's side? You I know? thought I heard that that was like uh, a, a thing to get expansion. I thought they had to have a plan for that. I don't know if I heard that somewhere or just saw that on social media, but well, I thought that that was like a legitimate thing. You mean for MLS to get expansion? Yeah, they would have to come up with a plan for. I've not heard that before. That would be that would be fascinating because, you know, again, we've talked about this LAFC thing for so many years. You know, why not? You know, what, what's the holdup? Same, same with the 2020 announcement. And, that, you know, I'm the one that reported that news that it looks like Sacramento is very close to signing on the dotted line. But, you know, they already announced the uh, the reentry wires coming up, which, let's face it, is really insignificant over the years, but they're not on the list. So, you know, the off season is going, you know, what's the, what's the holdup on 2020? What's the holdup on LAFC? So I think that is going to wrap it up, Rachel. Thank you for uh, being with us here and hopefully we'll get you on again soon. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to episode 83 of the Equalizer podcast for Rachel McGregor. I'm Dan Loletter. Talk to you next week.